John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. This is God's word. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. One of the biggest challenges facing the contemporary church in the West is reaching the next generation and encouraging them to follow Jesus. Various statistics suggest that millennials are attending church less frequently than the previous generation, my own generation, Generation X, or um, baby boomers. Some of those statistics are a little bit suspect, but it is a perennial issue facing the church of any age. How do you take the message of the gospel and pass it on to the next generation in such a way that it is encapsulated within their own culture and their own preferences and how they like to dress and what they like to do with their lives, and yet at the same time bears the authentic hallmarks of the biblical gospel in all truth and in godliness and Christ-likeness, it is always a tricky thing, this baton passing from one generation to another. What is the answer to this problem? In John's gospel, we are now in the third of three successive next-day statements. We have uh, the next day in our own passage, verse 43, and then verse 35 began with the next day, and verse 29, the next day. There are these three successive next days constructed by John, the author of uh, the gospel, to show us how John the Baptist takes the followers of his own and other people that he is preaching to and points them to Jesus, to persuade, as it were, the next generation that this is the Christ and they are to follow Him. The next day is the next day, the next day. The first of these next days we considered a couple weeks ago, and the, the heart of that message was this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, you follow Jesus because of who He is. 
He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Fill your mind and your heart with this truth. This Jesus is not merely a prophet. He is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. In Him is the one way that God and man, God and humans can be reconciled because He is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. He's not out to condemn you. He's out to save you. That's why, because of who He is. Then in the middle of these three days, last week, we considered the story of Andrew and how Andrew was used by God to invite Simon to meet Jesus. Simon called by Jesus Peter, the great apostle. And we considered how in God's providence, Andrews among us are frequently the means by which God brings people to church, brings people to Jesus. We encourage one another, all of us, to have, as it were, an Andrew ministry looking out for our friends and our neighbors to invite them to church. Come and see with me this one that I have discovered. Come and experience with me what I have experienced in much the same way that Andrew uh, had that ministry. We're We're on the third of these three successive next day statements. And in this passage, the focus is less on how people come to Christ, less on who Christ is in himself, and more the why question. Why would you follow Jesus at all? What is there that is so special about this person that you are asking me to give my life to? Why should I center all of my days and all my thoughts on this preacher from Israel 2,000 years ago? Why? Why follow Jesus? And Jesus here is giving us the answer to that question. You'll see that's in the background to the passage because in verse 50, he says, because. And of course, when you say because, you're answering a why question. Why should you do such and such? Because. And the culmination of his because answer to the why question is in verse 51 you will see heaven opened, which is the title uh, for the sermon this morning. You will see heaven opened. And the passage then is divided into three sections. First, a personal invitation, verse 43. And then there is a reasonable question, verses 44 to 46. And then this astonishing discovery, you will see heaven opened personal invitation, reasonable question, an astonishing discovery, all to answer why follow Jesus. So first then, a personal invitation. Look with me at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, it's very important, my friends, that we understand that part of what makes Christianity unique is this personal word from Jesus to all of his disciples here to Philip, follow me. The great commentator and uh, Christian leader John Calvin put it like this, Philip's mind was set a fire to follow Christ by this one word and hence we infer how great is the efficacy of the word. Or let me put it like this, Jesus does not politely 
invite us to vote for Him. He graciously and sovereignly commands us to follow Him. Of course, that makes all the difference in the world, this gracious invitation. Religion tells people to be good and by their own effort to follow the rules so as to get to heaven. But Jesus calls us with a gracious command to follow Him. And this call is a powerful word when applied by His Spirit to our hearts, and it is quite different from religion. It was different from, it's different from religion in our own day, and it was different from religion in Jesus' day. The rabbis did not behave like this. No, they waited for a disciple to choose to follow the rabbi, and as it were, in his own effort to make that choice and to follow after the rabbi in his own strength. But Jesus issues a gracious call to Philip. And I want us to understand just how different this is from religion. I know that uh, today there are many people who say that all religions are basically the same. But this is a huge mistake. Perhaps you have seen that bumper sticker that is reasonably common these days of the coexist bumper sticker with the different symbols for different religions. And of course, the message is they're all basically the same. Each symbol is making up one word, and they're all, roughly speaking, saying the same thing. Just let's get along, let's agree they're all the same. But it is a huge mistake. Uh, People who say all religions are the same are like people who say all Asians look the same. It at least exposes ignorance and, I think, uh, prejudice. No, no, no. Christianity uniquely preaches grace. Now, of course, grace does not mean that we get away with immoral behavior. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see God. Grace is the means by which we become holy. Now, what it means is that God sovereignly calls us to follow Him. He finds Philip, and He says to Philip, follow me. Now, it is possible that uh, there was other interaction that Philip had which gave a context to this word, but John, the author of the gospel, does not give us that context in this story that he is writing here, this gospel, for this reason, to underline the power of Jesus' word. Follow me. And Philip followed. There is the external call as the gospel is preached. The word goes out from this pulpit, you follow Jesus. It is an external call. And then there is the effectual call as the word is applied sovereignly by the Spirit. So Jesus says, follow me, and we leave everything and follow him. And really then, Christianity is not a religion at all. It surprises people when I'm introduced to them at a party or something, they find out I'm a pastor, and I say to them, I'm not religious. 
But I really, truly do not consider myself to be a religious person in this sense, at least. I'm a follower of Jesus because he said to me to follow him. You know, the great uh, commander, Alexander the Great, is renowned for his astonishing military abilities that swept his army across the world at the time. And part of the reason for his effectiveness was that he had been trained by the philosopher Aristotle on the art of leadership. And noteworthy among Alexander's abilities at leadership was an amazing first-hand personal knowledge of his troops. He had this huge army, and he picked them out by name. William, it's good to see you. Brian, thank you. He knew them. And they followed him to the ends of the earth because they were his, and he knew them, and he called them by name. That is a daunting ability to have. And not many of us have that skill. But God does. Similarly, then, Jesus does not just treat us as a group of people. He calls each of us to him. Now, isn't this a great encouragement to uh, follow Jesus if we are single? Jesus does not only value you based on your human family. You're not more important to him if you have children or if you're married. He calls you by name. What a great encouragement to, to follow Jesus if you are lonely. You are not more important to Jesus if you have lots of friends. Jesus knows you and calls you. There is then this gracious personal invitation to each of us this morning. Jesus says, follow me. Leave aside your life of sin. And as we sung earlier, he with his holy war calls us to follow him. So first, a personal invitation. Second, a reasonable question. I love this part. Look, look with me at verses 44 to 46. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. There are at least a couple of reasons why Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? One is quite human and sort of cultural. Uh, Nazareth, we think, was a small town of no more than 2,000 people. And so it would be surprising for a great figure to come from Nazareth just by sheer odds. It would be less likely that um, in that genetic pool that such a significant person would emerge. In addition, Nazareth had a different and probably disparaged accent. So we know from Matthew's gospel that Peter was identified as also coming from the Nazareth northern region because, we're told, his accent betrayed him. And there's a, a sense of sort of sneer about that interaction, that he had that northern accent. It would be a bit like... Um, 
someone from some elite prep school background in the northeast slightly sneering at someone with a deep south accent or perhaps vice versa. So there's that human reason. But of course also uh, Nathaniel, who knew his Bible, realizes that uh, the Bible does not say that the Messiah would come from uh, Nazareth. That that's not where he would be born. According to Micah chapter 5, the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. And Nathaniel at this point did not know that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. And so Nathaniel, as I say, asks this reasonable question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Andreas Kostenberger, one commentator and expert on John's gospel, says that Nathaniel then becomes a type of skeptical but honest person. Now how important it is that we allow there to be skeptical but honest people among us? We must allow people to have questions. One of the most fruitful evangelistic ministries that I was ever a part of was a group that we sat up, set up called Doubters Anonymous. And every week we'd meet, uh, five or six, seven or eight would come along. We had no agenda other than that anyone could ask any question they wanted. And we sat there for an hour or so, and a question came up, and we talked about it. Another question, we talked about it. And we had, you know, a month or so of this experience. And at the end of that month, fairly reliably, someone would recommit their life to Jesus. Another person would become a Christian. They were allowed the space to explore these uh, reasonable questions. Now, it seems to me that the people who are afraid of questions are the people who are insecure about what they believe. This is, of course, why cults do not allow questions. They don't want you to think. Just believe. Don't think. But biblical Christianity is not like this. Biblical Christianity says, let's examine the Scriptures together like the noble Bereans in the book of Acts. This is why I love uh, Q&A sessions on, on occasion after a sermon or a talk. It allows us all to process together what we are hearing. It's a very important way for the brain and the mind and the heart to actually work through what is being heard and think about it. Um, the great uh, Russian intellectual and perhaps the greatest literary theorist of the 20th century, Mikhail Bokhtin, says that in his view, the real initiator in any conversation is not the speaker, it is the listener for who would speak if they did not think anyone was listening. Oh, we need to ask questions. You need to ask questions as I, as I speak, as I talk. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Britain? How do I understand this text? What does it mean for my life? This Socratic method of asking questions in order to find truth is the way I think that today in our zombie apocalypse of, of, of sort of brain-numbing short attention span where we're, we're constantly sort of 
got a phone going off and beeping every three seconds so that we are all now in the future going to have the attention span of a squirrel. (laughs) You know, this is real. I feel it too. You know, it's harder, isn't it, these days to read a book because 30 seconds and you're on to something else. But we then need to engage our brain by saying, well, is that true? And do I believe that? And what should that in our minds? Or how should I put that into practice? It's an active experience. And so there is then this, this reasonable question. One um, contemporary example of the importance of this is uh, the woman called Rosaria Butterfield. We had her speak at, uh, in the Commons um, a year or two ago about her journey to faith. She comes from a lesbian, atheist, tenured English professor background. And she came to faith in the biblical Christ. And according to Rosaria Butterfield, a key part of this journey was discovering a Christian community that allowed her to ask reasonable questions and so gradually discover answers. Now, of course, my friends, it is true that some questions and some questioners are dishonest. They intend to use the sword of questions to pierce the defense of the Christian faith. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, bricks and mortar bookstore that got frustrated by the number of people coming with questions about books to the bookstore and realizing they're only asking them questions so they could buy these books on Amazon.com. Eventually, the bookstore closed down its public restroom in the store and put a sign outside the door saying, we have no public restroom, try Amazon.com. <laughs> Some questions are dishonest, of course. But many questions and many questioners are genuine. They're trying to discover the truth. And so here I want us to notice that when Nathaniel asks Philip this reasonable question, Philip does not rebuke him for having questions. How dare you ask such an impertinent question? He doesn't say that. Don't ask questions, just believe, Nathaniel. He doesn't say that either. Actually, here, he doesn't even try to answer the question, uh, and I think part of the reason for that may be that Philip is still quite a young believer. He's, uh, he's made several mistakes in his witness to Nathaniel already. In fact, Jesus was not born in Nazareth. Uh, that, that came close to uh, throwing Nathaniel off the track. And Jesus was not really merely the son of Joseph, but is the son of God. And so it's a huge surprise to Nathaniel to discover that actually Jesus is claiming something a lot more. And so despite those snakes, and he now responds in a, in a, to this reasonable question in an exemplary way, come and see. Well, we can at least all say that, can't we? We can at least all say, come along and discover for yourself. Come on, let's go to church together, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. We'll, we're on, we'll find out more. Come and see. And therefore, this morning, if you are here and you are having questions about your faith, I hope this will be in encouragement to you. Perhaps you have doubts. You know, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Disdain, not caring, not being interested, that's the opposite of faith. Doubt shows that you at least have some faith, otherwise you wouldn't be 
engage with it in your mind. You're wrestling with it. I hope it will encourage you if you do have questions about your faith or about the Bible. For without questions, how can you find answers? Come up to me afterwards and say, hey, actually, I do have this question about this part of the Bible or this part of uh, the Christian faith. Go to a, a more mature Christian and say, look, can we sit down over coffee and talk about this issue in my life that I'm wrestling with? But, but let's talk about it. Now, there's one word of caution we must uh, give ourselves at this point before we move on to the last section of this passage, and that is this. That all does not mean that we are encouraging each other to be on a perpetual journey of discovery. We actually want to arrive. We do not want to be like those people who have such open minds that they leave them open so long that their brains fall out. We actually want to come to a conclusion to get closer to understanding who Jesus really is, to grow in our knowledge of, of the things of the Bible. But for many people, a key stage in that journey to come and see Jesus is being able to ask a reasonable question. And it is particularly important as we as a church, we've got many millennials here, as we as a church reach out to the next generation, that we do so with open hands and say, this is what we believe and here's why, let's talk about it. A reasonable question, second. Third, an astonishing discovery, really the culmination of the passage. And um, let's then look at verses 47 to 51 together. Let me read it for us once more. So verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, but before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, of course, this passage is reasonably familiar to Christians and, in fact, this idea of Jacob's ladder and a stairway to heaven has been often the subject of Christian songs and even secular songs and it is frequently being used in somewhat sentimental ways even. What is it really all about? Well, to understand what is going on here, we need to have in our minds uh, the original story of Jacob's ladder. And uh, let me read out to you the two verses that are critical for us to understand it. This is chapter 28 of Genesis, verses 12 and 13, but you don't need to turn it up. I'll just read it for us. And Jacob dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it. Or, as is almost certainly the right translation, the Lord stood beside it, beside the ladder. So, of course, Jesus is referencing Jacob's ladder from the Old Testament. 
So when Jacob saw in a dream a ladder to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it, at the foot of the ladder he saw the Lord God. And now Jesus says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying that Jacob's ladder is fulfilled in him. He is saying that through him heaven is open for those who will follow him. These are the greater things that you will see. Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension to glory. These are the greater things. Heaven is open. And he is saying that he himself is the Lord God who Jacob saw in his dream standing at the foot of the ladder. The angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, that is Jesus, that is God. When uh, Jesus says that Nathanael is an Israelite without deceit, uh, when he says that Nathanael is an Israelite without deceit, he's referencing the same story. He's referencing Jacob's deceptive behavior and the meaning of the name Jacob, which was to deceive, and how that name was later changed to Israel, one who struggles with God and overcomes. And so there is now Nathanael, a true Israelite who is coming to the true Jacob's ladder, to the Son of Man, who is at the foot of the ladder, beside the ladder. That is Jesus. That is the Lord God. We don't actually know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree that Jesus supernaturally observed. Many people have speculated, but the truth is the text does not tell us, so we don't know. But we do know this, the fig tree was symbolic of Israel and of God's blessing and God's people. Uh, When you come to the promised land, you'll be able to sit under the fig tree, there will be the blessing of being able to eat the fruit sitting under the fig tree. That kind of idea is fairly frequent in the Old Testament. So to be seen under the fig tree is a bit like being seen saluting the flag. It shows that Nathaniel was genuine, that he was truly following the God of the Bible. Isn't this just an extraordinary encouragement, all this for us to follow Jesus of whatever age or stage? There is this sovereign word. So often we get this wrong, us preachers, don't we? We stand behind a pulpit and as it were, we sort of beg people to follow Jesus. Would you please follow Jesus? Uh, We come, as it were, on one bended knee, uh, on bended knee and say, uh, we'd really like you to follow Jesus. Would you please leave your sin behind? It would be such a favor to us if you do that. And then we come to the Bible, and Jesus just says, follow me. It is a word of command. It is not a suggestion. It is a gracious invitation, but applied by the Spirit, it softens our heart to then, like Philip, follow Jesus. 
what an encouragement it is, isn't it, that we have here this model of the reasonable question. Therefore, we as Christians are not to be the kind of people who close our minds to the difficulties. Every time you find a difficulty in the biblical text, behind it, so often there's a truth that you need to grasp. You press into it till you understand it. Same is true in our practical lives. When you're going through a time of suffering, you do not understand what God is doing. So often there's a new truth that you need to understand and grasp or reshaping of your character that the Lord is doing at that moment. So you have reasonable questions and you, in the context of God's word and with a person who is mature enough to deal with them, you voice them and seek the Lord to understand more of the Bible like those noble Bereans. And here, what an encouragement that we as Christians are not worshippers of a religious leader. We're not just following um, Jacob, we're following the fulfillment of Jacob's ladder. That he is truly the Messiah, the King of Israel, and yet there is more, there are greater things that through him heaven is open. What an encouragement to you this morning if you're facing death, that you've had bad medical news this week, that in Christ and through faith in Him, heaven not will be opened, is opened, and you can be assured of your eternal destiny. What an encouragement to you if you're thinking that this Christianity is just a bunch of institutional allegiance. Oh, no, no. Christ has come that we might have life and have it to the full. Heaven is opened. You may know God, the God of the whole universe, and enjoy Him and relish your relationship with People get so confused about this why question, why follow Jesus. It reminds me a little bit of the story of the young man inviting uh, his, his beau, his girlfriend, to, uh, to marry him. He sat down next to her on a park bench and eventually plucked up courage to begin the proposal like this. Darling, I love you with all my heart. I know um, I may not have a, um, a yacht or a really fancy Rolls Royce or that mega salary that, that old John Smith, he, he has all, I, may, I know I may not have any of those things like John Smith, but, but I love you with all my heart. The woman sitting next to him looked at him and thought for a moment and said, well, I love you with all my heart too, but could you tell me more about John Smith? And so often we come to this matter of following Jesus and that kind of hat in hand, bended knee approach. Now there is space for the reasonable question. Of course, we must affirm that. But what we're offering is uniquely found in Christ and Him alone. Heaven is opened. And it comes with a sovereign, gracious, Jesus says, follow me. Leave aside your life of sin 
and follow me. Let's pray together. have a moment's quiet as we let that word from Jesus resonate in our hearts and minds. Perhaps bring before Him our reasonable questions. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would soften our hearts, sovereignly rework our minds, our inclinations, our affections, and our desires, so that we might see, indeed, greater things than these, heaven opened through your death and resurrection, the life to the full, that is only, uniquely, found in you and through faith in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.